Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We heard of this a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Brother Luke spoke of this, and I don't even think he realizes just how deep the word was that he spoke that morning. It was incredible. The word of God is like that. (laughs) Luke chapter 23 and verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils, And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it. And slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. So who brought the victory? And who put that victory into motion and into action? David's mighty man. Now I posed the question, you may be seated, I posed the question uh, a while back, (laughs) where did these mighty men come from? And maybe just think about that for a little bit as we move along here. We'll come back to it. But I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 8. In verse 20. This is in the time of Gideon. They've been pursuing, (laughs) they've been pursuing the past and the future of their bondage. There's been strongholds. I wish I had time to break this into a series. There's been strongholds that have been spoken of right at the beginning, right before God calls Gideon. And it's laid out in Scripture, the strongholds. And here, the future of that stronghold has already been subdued. It's already been slain. It's already been eliminated. And Here's the past, the root of it, right here in Gideon's grip, and right here in the sight of Jether. Verse 20, and he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. This would be a great sermon (laughs) to preach for the youth. And perhaps someday I will do that. There's not many youth here. But that's all right. As as this was kind of laying out before me, I literally had to get up and do a little dance. And I had to say to my coworker, (laughs) 
God is so good as I was dancing right there at work, wrapping this up. Because the word of God is incredible. It's powerful. It's alive and it's active. So, help me, Jesus. The year was, it was the summer of 1990. ALCA was in full swing, I like to say in its prime. <laughs> I'm partial. Our basketball team, we had a school of what, about 45 kids from kindergarten through 12th grade. About 45-ish. And we, we were into sports, basketball, volleyball. We, we all know this. But in the, in the summer of 1990, we, we had just come off of two consecutive championships with our basketball team. And Mike Meyer was kind of the anchor of that team. Um, and, and Mike Showalter was, was right there with him. Mike Meyer graduated, and um, Michael Showalter was a senior, but he decided to chase after greener pastures, and so he transferred to the juggernaut called Parkway, and Parkway was, it, it was the team. At even a national level, you know, in the accelerated Christian education system, um, ACE, they would go to nationals and, and they had won championships before at the national level. And so we were about to lose Mike Meyer. We had just lost or just won two championships in a row. And our future, our leader to be, jumped ship. And then after winning two championships, our coach, Decides, eh, I'm done. And so it was in the summertime that started to catch wind that Brother Depoletto was interested in coaching our team. I was rather excited about this because Brother Depoletto had deep ties with the Parkway athletic system, in particular basketball, which worked out great because we're talking about basketball. And I remember that summer when I heard about it, going up to Brother Depoloro and just asking him and just pleading with him, please, coach us. Just coach us. I, and he did. And we knew he had a pedigree. We knew that he could come and he could bring us together and that we could accomplish great things. We had some talent, young but talent. And what do you know, by the end of the season, we came up short. We finished third in our tournament, our axe tournament, at a very local level. <laughs> Not even at the state level, at a very local level, we finished third, came up short. But the reason why I was so excited was because I knew that Brother Depoletto understood basketball. I knew he brought something to the table that we needed. And so we as a team bought into the program, we bought into the system, we bought into the process. And in his second year as head coach, we won our championship. And then in his third year as coach, 
we won a second championship, and it just happened to be my senior year. But not only did we win our championship inside of our little tournament locally, but we went to the state tournament for ACE, and we were, we were warring on the court with the big Baptist churches and schools, church schools. And not only that, the juggernaut, Parkway, was in that tournament every year. Now, this was the climax for me. It was my senior year, and we actually beat Parkway. We knocked them out of that tournament. It was a miracle, because as I recall, <laughs> I do remember Andy shooting two free throws at the end of that game, and he made them both, but I'm certain he crossed that line. <laughs> I know he stepped over. We might have got just a little bit of help from the refs. I don't know. But we qualified, actually, for nationals. We finished third in state, and we qualified for nationals. That was pretty awesome. And it was because we bought into the system. We bought into the leader. And you know, the word of God, it's alive, it's active, it's quick, it's powerful. And it's, once again, filled with principles. And when we apply these principles to our life, if we will bury ourselves in this, if we will let this define us in faith, we buy into the system, into his system. There's nothing that's impossible. If God be for us, well, if we're for him, if we're for the word, if we're in the word, there's nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that God will not do. And so, with that in mind, here we have two different examples. We've got one of David's mighty men, who stands in a field of beans. A field of beans. And he goes to war when everyone else flees. And he, he slays all the Philistines that come up against him. What could possibly be worth standing up against an army by yourself within just a field of beans? Would it be worth it for a few beans? But there was some reason. There was some purpose that drove him, that inspired him to stand his ground, to draw his sword, put faith into action, and God brought a victory. What could it possibly be? Now flipping over to Jether. On the contrary. Here, you've got the two kings of the Midianites. And the Midianites are those who are oppressing Israel at the time of Gideon. These are the kings. Their sons have already been killed. That represents the future. But now that anchor, that, 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 that stronghold of what has been coming against them and, and holding them down and keeping them from their liberty 
they've got in their grasp. And in verse 12, and when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he, Gideon, pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. And right here, God is saying, Jether, your victory's right here. Your deliverance is right here. Your freedom is right here. Your need is met right here. All you have to do, Jether, is draw your sword. It's all he had to do. And yet he did not. Why? Why? So let's take a little journey. And we're going to read a little bit of scripture. And in Jesus' name, we're going to move fast, or we'll be here all night. Judges, chapter 1. starting with verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? Eh, Good question. And the Lord said, so they're on the right track, they ask God, right? Very important. God, what's your will? Who do you want to go first? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now we see this in scripture over and over again. We we see it even with Joshua as, as God was leading Israel into the promised land. They come across the Jordan River and, and, and they look and there's Jericho in all of its magnificent splendor. In Penetrable. It's, it's, it's a stronghold. And we see the same thing. God says the same thing because we see patterns over and over and over again. It's a pattern of faith. And it's an invite to go ahead and participate in that faith. You see, I've given Judah the victory. I've already, Joshua, I've already given you the victory is what scripture says. Look, look at the stronghold, but I'm for you and the victory's right there. It's the idea and the concept of faith. God knows he's not limited in time or space. He sees the other side already. He's already there. He's already authored the victory. And he's saying, you just need to play your part. I've given it to you, Joshua. Just step out in faith and forgive me. For God's sake, do something. And we see the same thing here. Behold, behold. I spoke about that a while back. Behold, it's a declaration. Behold, God's saying, I've given it to you. Know it. You just got to play your part. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot. And it's key. I've often wondered, I've pondered, I've pondered, I've pondered it. Where does Israel go wrong here? We, we know it starts out magnificently, victory after victory after victory. We're going to read through it. 
We're familiar with it. I've pondered, where did they go wrong? Where did they go wrong? They did something right here. And we see this pattern. Jesus sent the disciples out how? In twos. All right? Way back before that, Judah says unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. And what do we know about the word of God? Where one to put a thousand to flight, two, we'll put two thousand. Ten thousand. Why? Because God's math, God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. If we participate in his realm in faith, oh, it's not 2,000, 10,000. And so they, we see a pattern forming in the Bible. They go out in twos. Now, we understand that they're talking about a whole tribe. Two tribes go out. So Simeon went with him. Verse 4, and Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now, I'm going to, forgive me already, I'm going to point it out, probably shoot the whole message in the foot. I should just have someone read the hard words for me. Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and, and they slew them. They had their sword drawn. They didn't go in there with a peace pipe. They went in there, and they slew. The sword was drawn. I'll remind you. Come on, Jether. The victory's right there. Come on, Jether. Your deliverance is right there. Come on, Jether. That next soul you're going to win is right there. Come on, just draw your sword. Hmm. They slew them in Bezik, 10,000 men. And they found Adonai, Bezik, and Bezik, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai, Bezik fled, and they pursued, they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 9. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain and in the south and in the valley. And, and Judah went against the Canaanites and dwelt, that dwelt in Hebron. And they slew Sesha and Ahiman and Talmah. They slew them. The sword is still drawn. They are on a, a victory march. They are just taking territory. Everything is going just as planned, right? They're doing exactly what God had told them to do. And, and God, is, God is doing exactly what he said he would do. Imagine that. Let me say that again. They were doing exactly what God told them to do. And surprise, surprise... God is doing everything he said he would do. If I had a pen, I'd write that down. Things are going just as they planned. And from thence, he went to, against the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kerjah, Sefer, and Caleb said, he that smiteth now ah, let's just jump ahead to save time. Whoever smites this area, I'll give them my daughter. So what happens? Someone smites the area and they get the daughter. Patterns continuing. Verse 16, And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees, in verse 16, 
with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arab. And they went and dwelt among the people. And I thought for a moment I had my aha moment. Because something just stopped me and it's like, well, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They went with Judah, but then it sounds like Judah goes on and they stay and they stop taking the territory. Could it be? Could it be? And I'm thinking, maybe this is that silver bullet. Maybe this is my answer to what went wrong. So I do a little bit of digging, a little bit of research. It wasn't it. The children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law. That wasn't it. It was all right. Had to keep digging a little bit deeper. And they went and dwelt among the people. Verse 17, And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephoth, and utterly destroyed it, and the name of the city was called Hormah. And we're getting close. Also Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ascalon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. In verse 19, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. Now, i got a problem here. I have a conundrum. Because, going back to verse 2, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And yet they come to a portion of the land that they could not subdue. Why? And if anyone's got an idea why, I'm, I'm welcome to it. For some reason, they weren't able to do it. Yet the Lord was with Judah in 19. He drove out the inhabitants of the mountain. It doesn't say that they slew them. They drove them out of the mountain. And this is where, if we'll just dig a little bit in Scripture, things will start to be revealed and there will be revelation. What mountain are they talking about? What part of the territory is this? They could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. If you have a study Bible, you might have a, a, a note there that's going to kick you back to the book of Joshua. Because the book of Joshua talks about iron chariots. We'll go there in a minute. But let's just keep reading and watch things start to, start to slow down. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin, now we're switching over to another tribe. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jezebites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to uh, descry Bethel. And the spies in 24 saw a man come forth out of the city, and he said to him, show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. He shows them. They show him mercy. For the sake of time, we'll continue to go, jump down to 27. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth, Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanakh or her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of 
Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. What happened? Judah was doing so good, and all of a sudden, they hit a wall, and I'll tell you, it was not the iron chariots. What are iron chariots to God? What what is any obstacle to the word of God, whether written or spoken? It matters not. God is God. He is above all things. There's, There's nothing to hinder God. There was nothing to hinder Judah in the pursuit of God's word. But something happened They hit a wall somehow. What could it be? Hmm. Verse 27, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bashan in her towns, nor Tanakh in her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor in her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibleam in her towns. But the Canaanites would dwell in the land. Verse 28, And it came to pass... When Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. And once again, if you have a study Bible, there might be a note that's going to kick you back to the book of Joshua. So that's where we're going to head in just a minute. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the, the inhabitants of Kaholol, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo. And, and may I just tell you, they didn't need the tributes from the tributaries. That's not what God needs. God's word was specific. Go and purge the land. Clean it out. If you don't purge the land, it's going to come back as a thorn in your side and you will end up serving their gods. Amen. Verse 32, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but he dwelt among the Canaanites the inhabitants of land, nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became tributaries unto them. And then, what had started out as victory after victory, complete purging of the land, Judah completely having victory after victory, as God had said, what has now slowed down to not being able to drive out the inhabitants of the land, but commingling and, 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 and residing with them. And now the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. And so once again, we see a progression. What started out so powerful and so full of zeal, and so full of God's will, starts to slow down for some reason. There's a warning here tonight, but more than that, there's an encouragement. This race isn't for the swift. This is for the long haul. And it's easy to come out of the gates with zeal, 
and come out fast and hard. But God has tarried, and we need to keep on keeping on. The war and the battle is still waging. Time marches on. I may not have quite the zeal in the youth I once had. You may not have it either. But the war and the battle is still as prevalent as ever. The, the necessity for, for ministers of reconciliation is more necessary than ever before. Our calling is still hmm, as necessary as it's ever been. The word tells us if we'll call upon him, those who call upon the Lord shall be saved, right? When you called, you became called. He was already calling and drawing you. And just know that we're all commissioned. And there is a calling. Forced Dan into the mountain. It comes to a grinding halt. They no longer can even take territory. They can no longer even put the Amorites into submission as tributaries. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres and Ajalon in Shelbim, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. Well, we were just talking about Dan. What started with Judah ends up with Dan being powerless. Now, we could talk about the different seats. We could talk about the first generation, second generation, third generation. We'll ponder that a little bit. We see that with Gideon and, and with Jether, a first and second generation, one willing to draw the sword and the other one hesitant to do so. But let's find out why. What, what brought everything to a grinding halt? Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 17. And realize, just because we're going back a chapter in your Bible, the time frame is still the same. And we'll get, by overlaying the scriptures, we're going to get clarity, and we will get inspiration, and even revelation. Joshua chapter 17, verse 13. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph. Does anyone remember who the house of Joseph was at this point? Two sons. Right? What was that? Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, and here you have it, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, the mountain of wood. I asked, what mountain was it? That Judah, not Manasseh, not Ephraim, but that Judah came to a grinding halt and could not subdue. 
Cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. So what they have here is the man of God giving a word from God, saying, it doesn't matter if they have iron chariots. If you put the word of God into action and in faith pursue and slay, you will overtake and you will have victory. You know why Judah came to a grinding halt? Because it wasn't Judah's place to take that portion of land. It was Manasseh's and Ephraim's. And what's even worse here, we're going to ponder scripture here a little bit, and, and I'm going to welcome you into my brain for a little bit, so, so hold on tight. It might get a little bumpy. <laughs> so ponder with me, if you will, for a moment. What has set this all in motion, if we jump back to verse 13, now, no, let's go back to Verse 1 of chapter 17. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. To wit, for Mekur, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. When you read that scripture, it sounds like the firstborn of Gilead, for his sake, because he was a man of war, he was the father of Gilead, it sounds like he's leading these people, in this time and in this place. That's what you would, I read it in a couple different ver versions and I'm trying to wrap my mind around this because the math doesn't make sense in my mind. Wait a second, if, he, if, if he's the son of the firstborn of Joseph, th this is like over 400 years ago. Just think of it, Joseph is in Egypt, right? He becomes, God elevates him for God's plan and for God's purpose to a, a, a position of prominence. Why? Because this is what God does to accomplish his will. And, and what happens? We know how the story goes out, but, but as it goes on, but before it happens, we know that Manasseh and Ephraim are born of Joseph in Egypt. And, and then at some point at the end of Genesis, what do we see? That a, a new king, a new king becomes king in Egypt, a new pharaoh, and he what? Doesn't know of Joseph. So, so let's just use logic here for a second. If he didn't know of Joseph, Joseph's probably already passed on. And yet his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, at this point would have to be getting a little bit perhaps middle-aged. And so this son here, the firstborn, Makar, Makur, it would only make sense that he was already born and already experiencing privilege before bondage ensues. And you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I'm just going to draw some things out of the word of God here. I believe this plays into the whole problem because he's called a man of war. How can it be? When we go back and, and we're reading in real time here in, in Joshua, and he's referred to as a man of war, and yet there's no way he could have been in the promised land. He would have been over 400 years old. And he was already only given to a man 120 years maximum by this time. Right? Am I in the word? 
So, it leads me to ponder, to wonder, was he of military experience even when they were in prominence, a place of prominence in Egypt? And what's crazy about it, experiencing being in a position of wealth and prestige and trained in war, even in Egypt, the Bible is referring to those genes carrying on to his descendants. He carried the family name and the family traits. And they carried on. You want to know something crazy? Does anyone remember what tribe Gideon was from? Manasseh. It's in there. Do you remember what God said to Gideon when he called him? The very first conversation, what did he call him? Gideon, who's hiding out because they're... they're hiding out in dens and in strongholds and in caves in the mountain, just hoping that the Midianites don't come by this year again and wipe out their crops and and feed themselves and their flocks and, and leave Israel with nothing. And what did God say to Gideon? He called him, you mighty man of valor. Why? Because it's in his genes. Because it's in the blood. It's in the lineage. And, and I'll remind you, I'll botch the whole sermon right here. We sing songs about, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins and your veins. We are joint heirs with Christ. When we came into this thing, we were grafted in. We belong, we're part of the family. It's a family of faith. And you know what? I don't care what your abilities are. In your family name, in your family genes, in your blood that now courses through your spiritual veins, you are a mighty man and a mighty woman of valor. And we, we can take no matter, no matter what we bring to the table. My, my incredible enticing words of men's wisdom that I bring in a message like this. Yeah, right. I can't even barely read the words. All I'm doing is reading the word of God. It doesn't matter. The word of God is always anointed. God's presence is in this place. This is a realm and a house of faith. And if we'll just realize who we are, what we are, what we've been called to be. Oh. I got to tell someone, I got to tell all of us, I don't care where we're at. You may be middle-aged like me. You may be one of the few young people that might be in here. You might be way down over the hill. You still got a sword that needs to be drawn. And God's still got a plan and a purpose and a mighty work to do through you. It's true. I just am a little concerned that along with that mighty man of valor, there were some things that kind of floated down through the generation to generation. 
I'll remind you, how, how old, how old, just to really solidify this, those who were allowed to go into the promised land, who were alive at the time of the lack of faith, when the 12 spies went in and 10 brought back a bad report, evil report, and Joshua and Caleb are like, hey, we can do this, we can do this. Why? Because God is for us. How old? What was the cutoff age? Does anyone remember? 20 years old? There's no way, no way that McCurr would have been under 20 years old. It's the genes. It's, what, it, it, it's what's in the name. It's what's in the family name. It's, it, it's what's hmm, in the family traits. And I'm concerned that some things weed through and some things kind of go along through, even though they're, they're a family that is, God has blessed them and anointed them to be military giants in Israel. Mighty men of valor. For some reason, uh, there, there, there seems to be kind of an attitude of, oh, it's prevalent today. Help me out. No, it's entitlement. And you can see it in Scripture. It wasn't Judah's place to go battle those chariots. There was a family, there was a man that God had been preparing for hundreds of years to be mighty men of valor, to take that, dare I say, bean field. Here's the thing. There are some, perhaps, perhaps, there are some fields no one can take but you. Oh, let that settle in God. Perhaps there's some territory that no one can take but you. Judah, with God's word, I will go before you. I've given you the victory, but Judah, you can't take that one because that's Manassas. And it brought everything to a grinding halt. Oh, it didn't happen overnight. Huh. But it happened to the point where Dan, you, you, let me really drive this home. The book of Revelations, it records the tribes of Israel, right? Anyone aware of Dan being in there anywhere? Do you know why not? Whole another sermon. Dan was so lost as a result of this. Dan is so lost that they never found their place in the promised land. Wandering, just wanderers. We see this. God even gave him one of the greatest judges, Samson. A complete wanderer. Didn't stand for anything. And after Samson's major failing, what do you find with the tribe of Dan? You find them wandering and picking up some false gods and going way, way, way up to the fringe borders of the promised land to the very northern tip and then a little bit further beyond. 
And then down the road, you see one of those calves when the United Kingdom is divided with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. You see one of those golden calves set up there, way up at the peak. And, and, and then you see it at the very fringe border of, of the northern tribes. So that Israel didn't have to go back down to Jerusalem to worship. You can just serve one of, one of those, those, you can worship at one of those golden calves. Dan's not even recorded in the book of Revelations. Now, I'm not speaking about Dan. I'm not even speaking about these other tribes that were, that were trying at least to take something and pursue something. I'm going back to the very heart issue. And what was the wall that they hit? And it was that I can't take the territory only you can take. And Brother Clark, you can't take the territory that God has marked for me. We hear it all the time, but it's true, and we see it in the Word of God. God has brought you and set you, empowered you to stand in your bean field, to draw your sword, hmm. to win your battles. And even war for others. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood. I saw it and I just couldn't help but do a little dance. Because God, you are so good. It's not about the failings. It's about who you really are. What you really are and the blood that courses through your veins. So, moving forward quickly, and we're almost there. Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. And I mentioned some of it, but we'll go through the scriptures anyways. An angel of the Lord appeared unto him. This is Gideon and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Why? Because it's in his genes. It's in his calling. God wants you to know, yes, you can. It's in your genes. It's in your DNA. It's in your DNA. Chapter 7, jumping ahead to 7, and we read it, some of it, and I'll just kind of show you. In 24, and Gideon sent messengers throughout all the Mount Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites. You realize there was three tribes that were with Gideon? 300 men, probably, I'm guessing, maybe 300 from each tribe there was, if that's the case, there was perhaps 300 from the tribe of Manasseh. And this blows my mind because Manasseh should have taken their territory. It should have already happened by now. They were able, they were men of valor. 
And so when Gideon and his 300 men, in verse 22, they blow the trumpet, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts, and the hosts fled to Bethshittah in Zerah and to the border of Abel Mahalah unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And then watch this. Gideon sends messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters onto Beth Barah and Jordan. And they, then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters onto Beth Barah and Jordan. And, and, and they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And like I mentioned earlier, the princes represent the future. And these men, when they were stirred to do something, look what they accomplish. They, they weren't even involved with the 300 that, that had, had, uh, had the pitchers and the trumpets. Matter of fact, when you see in a minute, they get upset because they weren't part of it. And I would say, Gideon, and you never needed to be here. With what runs through your blood, a whole tribe of men of valor. <clears throat> I get concerned when the desire for peace drowns out the increase of the spoils of war. I'm a little concerned that Manasseh, that was kind of, they were a little too willing to set back and let someone else do the work, and when it didn't happen, it just brought everything to a grinding halt. But here, within their ability, just a simple call, something that just moves them to do something, I would say to fulfill their role. They pursue the future. They overtake it. And they slew Oreb on the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they slew in, at the winepress of Zeb. Zeb and, or Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and, and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And I'll remind you, what was part of the process of elimination for all the men that originally showed up for God when Gideon called the men? God said, we're going to put them through a test. And, and anyone who's got fear in their heart, go ahead and send them home. Let them go home. How many of these mighty men of valor bought into the lie of the adversary and bought into the facade of what the Midianites were? How many of them bought into the lie that, well, I'm just not able, I'm just not capable. I, I, I don't know, I've got too many hang-ups. And God is saying, I've given you the victory. I've given you it. Just draw your sword and do something. Just draw your sword, participate, and then watch what I do. They're upset, they're upset with them. They chide them. 
Why hast thou served us thus that thou callest us not when thou wanted to fight with the Midianites? And, and they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison to you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than that of the vintage of Ebiezer or whatever? They're a little too willing to, okay, fine, whatever. Go back to their peace or whatever they were doing. And then in verse 12, we see when a mighty man of valor who answers the call of God takes Zeba and Zuma and places them ultimately at the feet of the next generation. You realize he may have been young, but Jether is no ordinary person. Jether's got blood of valor in his bones. He, he, he's got a calling on his life. And it's no different for you and for me. That royal blood, it courses through your veins. He said to Jethro, his firstborn, up and slay them. This youth drew not. As I close, and I mention it, and let's turn to John chapter 14 and verse 12. I've heard it preached. Matter of fact, it was preached at General Conference 2012. So it's not mine. It's not my ponder. You know why that mighty man, David's mighty man, stood in that field when everyone else ran away? It was because it was his bean field. And he knew it was his bean field. And if he didn't make the stand, no one would. Let me say it this way, and this is encouraging. No one else is going to. You have to. It's, it's time. Draw that sword again. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not there. Well, yeah, you are. It's not you anyways. It's God. He's inviting you to participate to do your part, and then watch what he does. So John, I'll try and catch up with you. You're already there. Familiar passage of scripture. My final scripture. John chapter 14. And verse 12. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And as we stand, I'll close by saying this. Matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a word to remember. I'm going to give you homework. 
tomorrow, uh, even tonight, if, whatever, wherever you go, whatever you come across, if you go out to eat or whatever you're doing, tomorrow as you get to work, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever your hand finds to do, remind yourself that this is my field. Remind yourself. I've got some DNA in me. I'm a mighty man of valor. I've got a commission and a calling. Remind yourself that if I don't make this stand, there's no one else going to. They've already ran away. That's all right. It wasn't their part. It's your part. Oh, if only Judah could know what we know right now. If only Judah could have went knocking on the door of Manasseh. Hey, Manasseh, you remember when the man of God told you that God was for you, God has gone before you, and that you would take the land, and those iron chariots could not stop you because they cannot stop God. Guess what? We tried. You weren't there. We took it as far as we can. It's your turn. Come on, draw your sword. Mm. This is your field. And it's in your DNA. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the word. God, I'm just praying in some way, God, this will not just be a sermon, not just another night that we've spent in the church building in your house, God, but in the name of Jesus, let your eternal word, let your eternal word, Jesus, that's all powerful, let it seek sink deep into our hearts, Jesus. Lord, move us, Jesus. There's some of us that need to be stirred, Jesus. Lord, I know we can draw that sword in faith, God. We can, we can draw it in ways we haven't drawn before, Jesus. Perhaps we're at a place where, where we've been stagnant for a little bit, and God, it's time to draw that sword. Maybe, God, just open our eyes just a little bit to realize, hey, this is my field. I may look around, and it may seem like maybe even God's not to the left or to the right, but God, I know you always know where I I'm at even if I don't know where you're at and Lord in this bean field right here right now I'm going to make a stand because God if I don't do it perhaps it might just be there's no one else and maybe this is my lot that you've called for me so God stir us tonight Jesus thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast we pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.